Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests on Blog Talk Radio as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard about the Freeman Institute? Tell me, would you like to learn more about a serial entrepreneur? Would you like to learn about people who drive you crazy? (laughs) Tell me, have you ever wanted to know more about Black History Month? Can you imagine writing seven best-selling books that are put into 28 foreign translations? Do you know what the Rosetta Stone replicas are? Rosetta Stone replicas. And when was the last time you heard about a wonderful off-key singer who is an extremely bad dancer. Now tell me, would you like to meet someone who has some of the answers to the questions that we've been asking? Are you ready to learn how to be successful? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Today, I will be introducing you to my guest. He is a success coach extraordinaire. He will provide us with wonderful, informative, and inspirational lessons and some really, really great advice. I'm pleased to announce that our show has over 1.4 million listeners to date, and also LinkedIn has announced that my profile was one of the top 5% most viewed during 2012. Now, let me tell you about my guest today. For 19 wonderful seasons, our guest tonight served as veteran mentor chaplain for NBA's Washington Bullets Wizards. Quite a number of pro athletes from basketball and hockey to football and baseball have consulted with him on a variety of personal and professional matters. With well over half a million copies in print, this success coach seven books and three DVDs has received rave reviews worldwide. He's been endorsed by notables like Steve Forbes, Bill Cosby, Julius, Dr. J. Irving, Kathy Hughes, Ben Carson, Brian Tracy, Joe Fraser, George Fraser, Pat Williams, and Billy Graham. His books have been published in 28 foreign translations. He is an accomplished author internationally sought-after conference speaker and workshop facilitator, serial entrepreneur, professional counselor, success coach to executives. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show today Dr. Joel A. Freeman. Hello, Dr. Joel. How are you? Hi, January. I'm doing great. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you today. Oh, it's wonderful to have you back on the show. You are probably one of my most energizing eclectic, enthusiastic guest. I mean, you are just all over the place. How do you keep everything, uh, how do you keep track of everything you're into? Well, first of all, I, I don't, uh, I wrote a number of years ago, I wrote my uh, personal mission and vision statement, core uh-huh. values, code of conduct, 
And um, I, I have so many different opportunities coming my way, and I just have learned how to say no graciously oh, okay. uh, if it isn't in my lane. And secondly, uh, I kind of treat it uh, as, as like herding cats. I have <laughs> a number of different projects, and in the morning uh, or many times in the evening beforehand, I'll, I'll set my uh, schedule for the next day in terms of, of things that I'd like to accomplish. And then uh, what I do is I'll take inventory on where things are are at, at this particular time. And uh-huh. it might be have something to do with the Rosetta Stone project. might have something to do with the Black History Collection or galleries. It might have something to do with uh, writing the uh, next book. And I'm working on, on a number of books at, at any given time. Mm-hmm. And then I just uh, kind of walk through it and I say, okay, let me prioritize. And then I... Uh, uh, I check up on it, and it doesn't need to be checked up on. If uh, you know something is being worked on, and it's going to take three months before it uh, is taken care of, then I can kind of delete that from my mind until three months are up. Okay. Now I, I know I'm exactly with you. I write everything down, and I t- try to prioritize everything I do every day. Sometimes it's difficult. Let's talk a little bit about your childhood and. Uh, Let's talk about the start of your success story. Well, I grew up in Alberta, Canada, in uh-huh. a little town called Three Hills, Alberta. I was born in Maine, and uh, through a series of decisions, my parents ended up moving out to Alberta at nine ice hockey rinks. Uh, we, <laughs> I'm, I'm my, my family, I have um, uh, three, four siblings in all in our family. Uh, I have an older sister, nine years old, an older brother, three years older, and a, and a younger sister, six years younger. And mm-hmm. we're scattered all around. My younger sister's in Vancouver. Uh, my older sister's in Maine, and my older brother um, uh, is back and forth between Dominican Republic and uh, in Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. we live in Maryland, my wife and I and our family. So it's um, what I did is I ended up leaving home at the age of 17, uh, okay. very rebellious, uh-huh. Uh, just kind of uh, angry with my father, my mother, and just full of spit and vinegar, and uh-huh. took my thumb out and ended up traveling around for about uh, close to two years, long-haired hippie, a dope-smoking fool, and just kind of <laughs> going from place to place. And it was a, it was a fascinating time, five, 6,000 miles on my thumb, uh, sleeping beside the road, and really was a, a great time. Uh, and I don't want to oversell something like this, but mm-hmm. it was uh, really worked out in a wonderful way. It taught me a lot, met a lot of wonderful, interesting people. I saw the, the dregs of life and the good, uh-huh. the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And I guess the only regret is the pain I brought my parents. But we ended up working that through, and about a year later, we repaired things, and um, uh, about a year and a half or so later, and I ended up uh, coming to Maine, uh, from from the West Coast, and I had had a, a, an experience in my life that just kind of changed things around, and, and I just had a whole new perspective, and I signed up for school, and kind of, you know, things kind of emerged from there. Well, tell us about that very special experience that turned things around for you. Well, it was, uh, it was, for me, it was a, a religious experience. It was, um, uh-huh. you know, just really uh, making my peace with God through Jesus Christ. And my, uh-huh. whole, my whole perspective just switched. It changed 180 degrees. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of questions. And um, over the years, I've done a lot of research uh, around the reliability of the Bible and and also, I was chaplain for a, a professional sports team, NBA team, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, learned a lot through that experience. And then I also have led a number of trips to Israel, to the Holy Land, and have hiked all around the Qumran Caves and uh, just a lot of different different things. I've tried to really back into my convictions through the door of doubt and, uh-huh. and cynicism and skepticism. So it's really been quite a journey. And I uh, did a talk show for about 11 years where people called up and asked questions. And I was kind of a co-pilgrim with people and just uh, kind of walking through some of the life's challenges and questions that, that we all have. 
Now, um, did this surprise your parents when uh, you had this experience and your life changed? I mean, had you been raised in a religious background? It it, uh, it did surprise them. I, I was raised <laughs> in a religious background, and I pretty much um, just walked away from all that. And mm-hmm. it uh, it was really quite an experience for me. It was rather emotional. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it, then it became more cerebral after that, but uh, you know pretty much I, I was I was not interested at all in anything to do with religion. Uh, the in fact I, I even hate the word religion because it means really? it comes from the Latin word religio, which means to bind up somebody, and I'm not oh. interested in that. And no. uh, so I just I look at it more as a relationship and and just a uh, just a real. It's been a, a marvelous, incredible experience um, on, on many levels, and it's been disheartening in some levels. But you know, it's—I don't mean to be Pollyannish about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the biggest hurts and heartache have come from uh, from quote unquote religious people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really appreciate you sharing this. You're being so frank with us about your own. Evolvement and how you came back to a religious outlook. I think instead of religion, I would say you're more spiritual. Wouldn't you agree? You know, uh, someone made a comment to me some a couple years back, and they said we are not um, we are not physical beings having a uh, religious experience. We're we're uh, a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that um, there's a lot of truth to that, and um, you know, I just I'm I'm very uh, focused on who Jesus is. You know, not on religion, not on on denominations, not on churches. Although mm-hmm. I do attend a church and I enjoy it, uh, but mm-hmm. it's just it's more of a uh, uh, focusing on who Jesus is, what he he said he who he said he was. Those are the kind of things that have intrigued me, and um, I've just tried to keep that as the main focus. It's kind of, it's kind of oh. like a, trying to balance a baseball bat. You know, <laughs> if, if you look at the top of the baseball bat, it'll stay in balance. You can do that for hours. But mm-hmm. if you take your eyes off the top of the baseball ball bat, it, it loses its balance, and you lose your balance with it, and it crashes to the floor. And I just think as, as I look at at, at Jesus, everything else in my life is in balance, and uh, and and that's and when I take my eyes off Him, uh, and that is kind of a um, uh, I guess a way of where I'm not focused on on who He is and and what He did and who He said He was and all the other things. Then it becomes a my life gets out of kilter, and I and I've watched that over over the years. Mm-hmm. So you followed how the uh, the highs and the lows. This is so interesting to talk to you about this uh, religion and spirituality. We're going to take a break and hear about your host. And when we come back with Dr. Joel A. Freeman, I want to talk about uh, people who drive you crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah, and what suggestions you have for us, because, you know, we all have them in our life. We'll be right back with Dr. Joel A. Freeman. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top ten things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Whine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Whine at Amazon.com. 
Welcome back with my wonderful guest, Dr. Joel A. Freeman. Now, Dr. Joel, what do we do about the people in our lives who absolutely, positively drive us crazy? Well, I, I think, first of all, it's it's just accepting it and embracing it. It's um, In fact, mm-hmm. I found that, uh, you know, my the title and the, the brand for my company is those seven words, dealing with people who drive you crazy. Okay. And uh, it's the title of the, the most popular seminar that I do around the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's almost a, um, I guess we're all tuned into WIIFM, what's in it for me. And I mm-hmm. guess many, many times people come with the whole concept of, uh, boy, I, I know a few people that drive me crazy. But yeah. then I kind of do a little bait and switch a little bit, and I don't mm-hmm. want to give away too, some trade, too many trade secrets here, but um, <laughs> you know what happens is that when people come, they begin to realize that sometimes we drive people crazy around us, and it's not some cosmic conspiracy out there. It's just we get on each other's nerves just by being ourselves because there are opposites that attract and then attack and uh, given time. And, and you get any group of people together, and what happens is that, uh, especially if they have uh, a common vision, a goal, a purpose uh-huh. for, uh, let's say, to build the best widget in the world or to uh, clean carpets the best and most inexpensive way uh, that any any other competitor can't even even uh, come close to what they do, you get a group of people doing working on a project. Then you put time sensitivity to it. Uh, you put high standards to it, and mm-hmm. then you you put people in the mix of it. And then you see how people approach it. You know, some are very, um, I guess, very detail-oriented. They want to know, like cleaning carpets, you know, what kind of chemicals are being used and can we uh, get something mm-hmm. a little cheaper and uh, that works better and, and, you know, what's the process and can we improve the process. And then you have other people that are more interested in, uh, gosh, uh, we've got the uh, the members of, of baseball professional baseball teams that are having their homes cleaned by us, and you know they're, they're and we're excited about that. You know, we all approach the same thing different ways, but mm-hmm. there's built-in conflict that comes with this, and and it just is such an astonishing thing. In fact, um, you know, when we look at it, it's funny when it's happening to other people, but yeah. it's dead <laughs> serious when it's happening to us, <laughs> and, yeah. and even. Even myself, you know, I, I just think of, um, you know, you get a you get a BS and you can let your mind wander what that means, and MS is more of the same, and then PhD is piled higher and deeper, and it just becomes a, a situation where you think, okay, when I get to my this level, you know, where I I've learned all this and you know that somehow things are going to be different, and actually it isn't. It, it, you know, we I find that. Uh, some people tick me off, and even though I teach on it and I, uh, I'm an instructor in it, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a co-pilgrim. I'm a learner along with everybody else. And then sometimes with my family members, I have to ask for forgiveness and apologize and acknowledge uh, that I hurt somebody because I was too curt or businesslike or uh, maybe uh, the three T's weren't in operation, time, tone, and tact weren't in operation because I was on my own agenda. And so I think it's a lot of this is – is I think it's probably 75% um, the the, uh, the stuff that's inside of us, the stuff that gets hooked, that's hookable inside of us, um, the the flashpoints, the points that make us angry and frustrated with other people, and then the 25%. That's the easy stuff. That, that's the techniques. That's the listening skills. That's the you know, the I statements rather than you statements, those, those types of techniques and the principles that we can share. But a lot of it is just getting dirt under our fingernails and trying to figure out, you know, what is it about me? What are my blind spots? What, what are things that I can grow? How, how can I grow in, in all of this? And, and I think part of it is just learning. Once a person unpacks it and they begin to understand, oh, I'm not going crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is this is built-in predictable stuff when I work with that person over there, and yeah. I'm going to work through it. Uh, you know, and there's some stuff for us. There's some toxic people, and there's some crazy stuff. We're going to know, know how to draw lines in the sand. Say no, um, I'm not going to book a guilt trip today. And uh, yes, when you say that, you're trying to make me feel guilty. I mean, there's things that we can learn about uh, people and ourselves. But for the most part, there's garden variety neurotics and, and 
you know, situations that we deal with that uh, sometimes escalate and become um, need to be arbitrated or become legal issues. Yeah. But they could have been dealt with at the root phase, at, at, a, at initial phase, if if people would just you know chill for a moment and kind of mm-hmm. maybe even start uh, appropriately laughing about their own perceptions and behavior. And so that's what I try to do is to try to let's not let's not allow things to escalate so that the uh, the smoke detectors are going off and it's a five <laughs> alarm fire and and now we now it's uh, we got to get out pickaxes and shovels and tear down half the house to save yeah. it. You know, let's let's catch it while it's still a spark. Well, you know, it's so hard sometimes for people when they're in the middle of this kind of a situation to step back take a time out and pull themselves together. I think your advice is fantastic. Now, you're involved in so many activities, author, speaker, entrepreneur, counselor, uh, Rosetta Stone Replicas, magazine publisher, analyst, black history, uh, corporate trainer, all these things that you're doing. It's so amazing. What would you say when you look at all these opportunities what is the most rewarding thing you do right now, today, every day? Well, I think that um, the the most rewarding thing is is uh, for me is as I'm is, is to be able to to put together uh, sustainable, economically viable projects that other people uh-huh. can duplicate and and can be rewarded by doing them. And by that, I mean you know, for instance, uh, it sounds like I've got a lot of things going on and I'm disjointed mm-hmm. and I'm over here and over there and it's like, gosh, this guy must give everyone emotional whiplash when they're around him. And then perhaps I do. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, is that um, there's I'm very selective about anything I get involved in. In fact, mm-hmm. it has to run through a certain grid and then, and then um, my wife, you know, has to kind of sign off on it in, in some mm-hmm. ways and just... Okay. Yeah, so that uh, yeah. you know that we're we're doing some things, even if I'm doing something, that there's a sense that she's a partner in what I'm sure. involved in. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is that uh, there's there really is no more than one or two degrees of separation between any two things I do. So when it comes to rewarding, everything I do is rewarding because I don't mm-hmm. allow it into my life as a focus unless it is, mm-hmm. unless it's something that I'm passionate about. Uh, and I'm not driven by money. Money is great and it's fine, and it generally follows a lot of the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But it, it, um, and I've been, st- uh, you know, stunk, uh, skinked a few times. Uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I can share those stories sometime down the road sure. here. But the thing is, is that, um, is that most of the time I'm very careful about a business plan and uh, walking mm-hmm. through a whole process because creativity is not lightning striking. Or, uh, or thunder rolling, and some bright idea comes, and oh, this is great. It sometimes emerges that way or enters that way, but it's a process. Uh, creativity is not just a bright idea. Creativity is actually implementing it, and that's when I when I look at someone who who says, you know, I, I got a great idea, you know, okay, let's develop a process for that because that's the only way it's going to be implemented. Uh, if you're if you're going to just sit around and, and congratulate yourself about a great idea, guess yeah. what? There's about uh, you know 300,000 other people out there who might have a similar idea, and it'll beat you to the punch, and you'll be looking on TV someday and something being sold uh, on 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 an infomercial, and you're going to say, "I thought of that 10 years ago." You know? Well, yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm glad you thought of it. You know? So it's helping people. That, that's what gives me a lot of uh, what's most rewarding, I should say, to uh-huh. get back to your original question here, yeah. is when I can develop a process that doesn't take me to fulfill it, that I can develop a process that, that uh, another team of people or another individual can look at it and say, I can do that. I might be wired differently. I might have a different temperament. I might have a, a different style, approach, a different way of speaking. Uh, I might not have as much education. I might have less of this. I might not be able to present myself as well as, as another person over there, but I can do that. And that's the kind of thing that is awe-inspiring to me, to, to be able to see an idea, implement it, and then 
and have a system set up so that another person or another group of people can implement it. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. You know, we're going to take a break and hear from one of my sponsors, Dr. Joel. But when we come back, I would like to hear about the Rosetta Stone replicas from you. And we will be right back with Dr. Joel A. Freeman. Could your commute or daily exercise routine use a boost? When was the last time you really got the giggles? June is audiobook month, and the producers of Yikes, Another Quirky Audiobook invite you to tune in, turn on, and let loose a few good laughs. Yikes, Another Quirky Audiobook is about a marijuana enthusiast named Blue McKenna who gets involved in a reality TV show as a way to cure an apocalyptic case of writer's block. A conglomerate of kooky contestants invades the polygamous community of Naval Utah to compete in a reality show called Yikes. Things get sticky when Blue McKenna's hemp garden is ignited during an ill-fated seance. Find out what's going down in the desert in Yikes, another quirky audiobook. This is Adele Park inviting you to celebrate audiobook month on the funny side. Visit www.yikesaudiobook.com. That's www.yikesaudiobook.com. Tell you if you're on taking a road trip, you need to put either yikes or jitters in your uh, audio, your car, and you will laugh for the entire trip. She's wonderful. Um, Dr. Joel, let's talk about the Rosetta Stone replicas. Tell us about this project that you're working on. Well, 2005, um, see, I have a black history collection, over 3,000 pieces, oldest piece dates at 1553. And wow. I became interested in the Rosetta Stone because um, my goal is to develop black history galleries, uh, overcomer galleries, uh, that are made up of people that have... Um, I've been like blades of grass cracking through the concrete. The thicker the concrete, the more inspirational the story. And I was looking for something that would um, that would really be kind of a segue, almost a touchstone, a literal touchstone to ancient times that would allow us to take a step back to ancient um, inventiveness and creativity, draw a ancient context, and and then to I didn't want to reinforce the notion that Black history started with slavery. With the trade, mm-hmm. and so uh, the Rosetta Stone. I, in 2005, I was able to um, to identify and then procure purchase. I paid a king's ransom for it almost, but uh-huh. it was uh, only 12 to 15 of these were made in the ni- in the 1970s by the British Museum. Wow. Uh-huh. And um, and so uh, when I when I got it, I thought I looked at it. And I thought, how cool would it be if I was able to recreate the sides and the rear and mm-hmm. and to have a full-size replica. Now, the Rosetta Stone was found in 1799. It was inscribed mm-hmm. in 196 B.C., probably one of the most important archaeological finds in the last three centuries because of its impact on archaeology, on linguistics. In fact, Rosetta Stone language software got its name from Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there's a lot of international intrigue between the British and the French. They hated each other at the time. In the early 1800s, there's a lot of competition, a lot of, a lot of bloodshed uh, because of the animosity between the two nations. And then you had egos, and, and it, it's the whole idea of how are we going to crack this code because uh, there's Greek, there's a demotic script, and then there's hieroglyphics. They knew what the Greek said. In the last sentence, it said, the same thing shall be written in all three languages. And uh-huh. uh, they thought, wow, if what is up there is what's written down here, and what's down here is up there, maybe we can use, elicit some ideas from what the Greek is saying and then figure the, uh, the, the code to hieroglyphics. Then it'll unlock the secrets of ancient Egypt. Well, now read uh-huh. on the sides of obelisks and temples and, oh, that existed. Uh, that, that town existed. That person lived. That battle was uh-huh. fought. Oh, they wow. ate that kind of food. And so uh, literally... The, the Rosetta Stone was the key that allowed us to understand languages. And it's just the language of, of Egyptology and then to understand the mores, the folkways, the values, the, the historical stories of, the, of ancient Egypt. It's kind of like a kid learning to read and in the, in the car with the family going to, to Florida, let's say, to Disney World. Yeah. 
and uh-huh. and they're looking. They can read signs. They get, oh, look at that sign! And it opens an entire new world to that kid, be, because of he, he or she being able to read. And so what happened is that um, in 2009, I think it was, or 2010, uh-huh. we I launched the project at the Library of Congress. I had experts in hieroglyphics, uh, experts in Egyptology there, and uh-huh. uh, in some ways. Uh, I, I feel like the dog that chased the car and then caught it. You know, what the heck do I do with this thing, <laughs> this, this vehicle yeah. now? And, but uh, what's cool about it is that I now have eight models. We're working on a holographic image. I just cracked the code to a smaller model called Classic Junior, which uh-huh. is the, the, the full-size one-to-one is 45 inches tall, 30 inches wide, 11 inches thick, and you have to have a pretty big room to uh, to host it. it. The gravitas of this piece is um, astonishing. In fact, someone uh-huh. can go to rosettacrazy.com to learn more <laughs> about this. R-O-S-E-T-T-A crazy.com. Rosetta Crazy. <laughs> and, um, and then they'll see a little video I just finished, uh, which is all uh-huh. about the Rosetta clone, which is an international rock star. And uh, it's the Rosetta clone, my, one of my replicas, uh, telling the story uh, about the real Rosetta Stone, which is at the British Museum. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like an, a celebrity impersonator, a look-alike performer. And, uh, and uh, you know, they translate into uh, visitors at many uh, museums and places around the world. But anyway, it's, it, it, to learn about this, I think once people learn about it, they'll become as passionate and as excited about it and uh, got a holographic image we're working on, and um, I had a lot of help in this project. It's just been astonishing, been a lot of fun. And, and also, an, this morning, a, I just, I'm sorry? Yes. Go, ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, just this morning, I had an hour and 15-minute conversation with a company in Canada that sets up traveling exhibits, and we came up with oh. this whole idea of four stages to do a maybe 6,000-square-foot traveling exhibit uh, for this. So if anyone wants to uh, fund this uh, with title sponsorship, uh, it would be about $2 million. Uh, wow. But uh, well, it's pretty exciting to see all this come together. Well, remember when uh, a while back they had the King Tut Museum yes. uh, ex- exhibit, and that went all over the entire country. I've never seen people react to anything the way they did to that. And I think that uh, a Rosetta Stone exhibit would do the same thing. I, I hope you uh, can work on it, and I hope it happens. Have you thought about writing a book about this experience? Oh, oh yes. In fact, I'm about 25% done with it. And it's oh, going okay. to be actually, uh, I spoke last year in Iceland uh, in front of a, a group of about over 100 um, airlines represented called WACRA. World uh-huh. Association of Customer Relation, uh, Customer Relation Association, World Airline Customer so- Customer Relation Association, and I, mm-hmm. I talked about it. Did a 90-minute talk about the Rosetta Stone. I okay. painted the picture about the history, and then the then I, I, I at the, toward the end I said the Rosetta Stone is actually a metaphor for problem solving, and so there's uh-huh. about seven or eight pro- uh, steps and things that we can learn from the historical drama to bring the contemporary application so that now, you know, to apply those same problem-solving uh, situations to teams, you know, I, we think about, we have this Pollyannish view of team building, and, mm-hmm. and uh, but truth be told, on most teams, there's big egos. On most teams, people are all elbows. On most teams, it's what's in it for me. On most teams, I don't, I don't mean mm-hmm. to be negative. I just mean to be realistic about realistic. what goes on. And sure. so the Rosetta Stone could be a metaphor for, okay, you had all these egos, international issues, all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. going on, and yet mm-hmm. it, they still cracked the code. It took 23 years, but there was perseverance. There's certain things we can learn from this. And so that's where it's going to go, and I'm going to develop um, a, probably a magazine around it that is oh, going okay. to be specifically uh-huh. about this particular project. Maybe it's, it's going to morph from a book to a magazine. Uh, I really think it's a lot of pictorial stuff that will be uh, quite exciting. 
Oh, it sounds fantastic. And uh, will you be able to tie this in uh, with the wonderful Freeman Institute? Uh, tell us a little bit about what prompted you to create the Freeman Institute and what you're doing uh, now. Well, January, thank you so much for asking that. The Freeman Institute is just an extension. Um, uh, it's, it's just something that uh, uh, if you go on freemaninstitute.com, uh, mm-hmm. Freeman, F-R-E-E-M-A-N, institute.com. Basically, there are about seven arenas of expertise and things that we're involved in, and I work mm-hmm. with independent contractors, and um, it is just an uh, incredible thing to see how it's grown over the years, and uh, it's taken me to well over 50 countries. Uh, yeah. Many I've, I've gone back to a number of times, and uh worked with heads of state, and I decided I was not going to go to uh, religious institutions because, you know, I don't mean this negatively. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a judgment. Okay. It's just an observation. You know, uh-huh. I'm looking for a good brother discount and, uh, and many times don't <laughs> appreciate and respect the kind of stuff that you and others bring to them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I decided I was just going to go to a, a pretty elite clientele. Uh, in fact, a lot of what I do is proprietary. You won't even find it on my website because Mm -hmm. it's the kind of stuff that's behind closed doors in a corporate boardroom or a government agency or with senior advisors to a president or prime minister and uh, and just dealing with issues. Because I I worked for 19 years actually as chaplain for the Bullets, the Wizards in the NBA. And you have to have a big ego to play at that level. And I don't mean that negatively. (laughs) Uh, you have to believe that you can beat Michael Jordan or whoever is yeah. the latest Michael Jordan, or you're going to be toast. You're going to end up on a poster at Kmart with uh, Michael's tongue hanging out and dunking all over you. And so it's it's uh, it's the kind of thing where uh, to be able to work with people who have big egos, who play at a high level, who play hard and work hard, and uh, it's a cutthroat environment. To be able to, because sometimes you live in that type of environment or any type of environment, uh, it's, it's you're, like you're in a jar and you can't read the label. And you need someone <laughs> like yourself that can come in and read the label. And, and I need, you need people to read your own label. And I need people need to read my own label because I'm in a jar uh, in yeah. many things I'm doing. And so it's just the way it is. And so to be able to have someone that can come in and is, is, is uh, uh, I would say, fearless and is willing mm-hmm. to speak the truth and uh, is, uh, is, is trustworthy, and, you know, there's many things I will go to my grave. I won't tell my wife or anybody else things I've experienced and dealt with with uh, high-level individuals, and that's part mm-hmm. of the, the deal. It's part, part yeah. of the, the, the credibility, the, the economy, if you will, the currency uh, when dealing with people at, at a high level because um, – if you come in and you write a tell-all book down the road, yeah. uh, no, it no. just doesn't work. No, not at all. And what I love about having you on my show is that you speak the unspeakable, and you do it in the politically correct way, and you don't offend people. And your message is amazing. Um, you know, we're going to take a break and hear from one of my sponsors. And I want to talk when we come back a little bit about the book, several books that you've written, and one especially, If Nobody Loves You, Create the Demand. I love that book. I think that's one of the best books I've ever read. Um, We'll be right back with Dr. Joel A. Freeman. Second time around can be better. Second timers try harder. Looking to have a rewarding second marriage, any marriage, read Successful Second Marriages, by Patricia Bubash. She interviews a variety of couples that have succeeded in their second attempt. Each story reflects that the second marriages can be tough going, yet be the best of the best. Learn from these couples who share their intimate stories, how they struggled with difficulty and have thrived. Stories such as, our kids drove us apart. We separated five times in four years. Four months into our marriage, my 85-year-old father-in-law came to live with us. One year into our marriage, I was diagnosed legally blind. Death of my eldest child brought grief, depression into our new marriage. Successful Second Marriages is encouraging, hopeful, inspiring. 
Available on Amazon.com in book form and ebook. Read Pat's musings at www.successfulsecondmarriages.com. You've been a, a second successful, very successful, 42 years worth of successful marriage, and I recommend Pat Bubash's book. Dr. Freeman, let's talk about if nobody loves you, how do you create the demand? Well, uh, Thank you so much for your kind comments about the book. Um, uh, first of all, love if, no, if nobody <laughs> loves you, create the demand. That came from a Bar- Gary Paxton song uh, he wrote back in uh-huh. the 70s. He wrote the Monster Mash, uh, Alley Oop, and others. He became a good, he's become a very good friend. But uh, I give him credit for that title. But it, it's uh-huh. the um, the thing is is that uh, when it comes to creating the demand, I think that it's all about. Uh, developing a process. There's part of it is learning uh, how your personality impacts your entrepreneurial success. It's mm-hmm. understanding about your passion. And sometimes yes. I think it's understanding what makes you angry. And uh, sometimes you don't know your life purpose until you find out what makes you angry and, uh, okay. and in yeah. the injustices of life. And sometimes it's... Uh, it's hearing somebody else blow off steam, and then you begin to realize, well, I could develop a process. I could develop a, a widget. I could develop a, uh, a service for that that this person is griping about. And, um, and so you never know how, where these things are going to come from. And I developed a book and a workbook. Uh, the workbook was the toughest thing I ever did because entrepreneurs <laughs> typically have an attention span of about 13 seconds. <laughs> if it's not completely in their, their lane and about what they're doing at that moment. And yeah. so uh, to develop a workbook with a leader's guide so that there would be enough material for about 10 months, 90 minutes a week, and provide information in between time, but that 90 minutes uh, when they meet to have it down to the minute, what they're going to do and how people can participate and feel a part of it, that, that's a, that was a big part of it. But um, to get back to your question, I think that there there is that process, and I have something in there that uh, is is what's known as the idea factory, and it's taking okay. an idea to the marketplace. Whether it's uh, someone can sing, they can write, they they've yeah. invented something, uh, they 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 uh, uh, have, have some some type of way where they're going to help people, and uh, and so whatever it is, it how am I going to put this in a package? that fits my personality, that uh, engages other people, and, and it's something I can be passionate about. But I'm, I've got to be gut level hard, uh, hard-nosed about it. Is it going to, make, uh, is, is it going to help yeah. feed the family? Right. And so that's many times very tough. I, I talked to some, a woman who makes these beautiful dolls, uh-huh. And and I said uh, I said wow this is incredible how many hours does it take she started telling me you know the number of hours uh-huh. I said I think you're lying to me I think it takes much longer than what you're telling me and I said how much do you think you're worth in in the uh-huh. amount of time you put into this I mean this is a great gift at Christmas time but it, to make this a viable uh, economic yeah. thing it's it's just not going to work and so you have to kind of uh, unplug mm-hmm. your emotions on that side of things to see if this is really going to be economically viable. So it's, there, it's part of it's just, just hooking into the process and being in the now and, um, and also realizing that with every vision, there's going to come death to that vision. And, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, going, it's going to die. And it's yeah. going to test the very seams of your soul. And it's going to make you wonder, was, what was I smoking when I came up with that idea? <laughs> you know, was I hallucinating? Is that cr- I'm, I'm nuts. And then there's going to be other people around you. They're going to tell yeah. you that, you, uh, you know, who are you to think that you can do that? You know, yeah, uh, right. uh, what, what credibility do you have to do, to do whatever you think you're going to do? And so it, these people are going to come along. And sometimes they're people that are closest to us. But, you know, sure. I, I like to flip that around. And mm-hmm. I look at I look at a, at a kite. You know, what are the main elements? You got the kite has to be built with a certain aerodynamic design. In other words, it has to fit mm-hmm. its design, its purpose. It can't right. just be a, a hunk of paper up there. It has to have some form and structure to it. But then also you got to have some wind. And wind many times is associated with adversity, the things that come against us. And then you have to have string. 
And you got to have someone holding that string, grounding you. And so most entrepreneurs might might uh, feel like they're more like the kite and say, wow, I want to fly high. I don't want anyone clipping my wings. I don't want anyone – I don't want to feel claustrophobic when I'm around you. You know, I want to just fly. But you know what? You better have at least one. might be good to have just one string holder, someone who keeps you grounded, who asks the tough questions, uh, who might – you might feel like they're being negative, but they're just, just trying to check to make sure is this viable for you. And so it's, not, it's good not to have too many of those. But if you have yeah, one, at least trust the person one. to tell you the truth. <laughs> you need one you can count on. And I That's know right. you have one with your wife, and I have one with my husband. You know, we just have two minutes, uh, actually a minute and a half. Do you have any regrets when you look at your wonderful success journey? I do. I, I have regrets that uh, sometimes I, uh, you know, just as I look back on, on some of the relationships that I was I didn't. I was just too tough on people sometimes, or, or just okay. uh, I wasn't listening well enough, or I was just so caught up on my own little world. And the older yeah. I get, I'll be 59 this summer. And the older I get, the more I realize how relationships are important. And and I think and I tried hard. I've tried hard not to burn bridges, but I do believe there are some bridges that I burned. And, um, and and sometimes it's other people burned them, and uh, you know, like uh, the good book says, you know, if you to do the you do as much as lies within you to be at peace with all people, and that's I think it's a backhanded way of saying sometimes it just ain't possible, and you do the best you can, you write that letter, you ask for forgiveness, and you just have to move on. But I, that's the biggest regret that I was so caught up in my own stuff, my own. Um, uh, purpose in, in for doing things that I wouldn't, I wasn't listening and I wasn't tuned into the relationships. Well, you know, Dr. Joel A. Freeman, you are one of my priceless personalities, and thank you for sharing with my listeners your regrets because you know we all have them, but yes. we have to go forward. And thank you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to having you back many, many times. My pleasure. Thank you very much. To my wonderful listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our fabulous show today with Dr. Freeman. My upcoming guests for the rest of the week are all exciting, eclectic, energizing. They will amaze and use, and they will astonish you. This is the show where you hear inspiring information that will help you to become successful, too. I would love to welcome you to our wonderful no-whining world. We love sharing our stories, struggles, and secrets for success. It's our hope we can encourage all of our listeners to emulate our guests today like Dr. Joel and every day. Remember my mantra, if you think it, then you can do it. So for now, dear friends, please stop with the whining and start smiling and then start sharing our success show with everyone you know. And if that doesn't work, then start eating chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. Again, thank you to my wonderful guest, Dr. Joel A. Freeman. This is January Jones thanking you for joining me today on my journey and reminding you to take care and stay safe. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Story. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.